Redeemer students, but saying who we are. And what are the things that are crucial to what we do? What are the things that define what happens here on Wednesday nights? So we walk through the gospel, how that's central to everything we do. We looked at how scripture is our basis for everything. It's the standard of truth. We looked at discipleship and how essential it is that older, more mature believers are pouring into younger, less mature believers. And how that's the process that God uses to train up the next generation. We looked at worship, learning what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with our song. And last week we had Daniel lead us in prayer, learning about what it means to pray, who we pray to, why we pray, what we pray for. And now we're going to be concluding the series with fellowship. Fellowship. So the title of my sermon tonight, if you happen to be taking notes, is The Ingredients of Fellowship. You'll probably be able to see it on the slide behind me in a minute. The Ingredients of Fellowship. And I want to show you from our passage tonight in Romans 15 that there are three ingredients that I think Paul explains of fellowship. And as you'll see, fellowship is not one part wizard, one part hobbit, and one part dwarf, like Lord of the Rings. It's actually a lot more than that. And I obviously had to put a Lord of the Rings reference in if my title is Fellowship. Um, <clears throat> there's not too many of those for those of you who don't watch Lord of the Rings or have never seen it, which I admonish you, please watch it. It's a great, it's a great movie series. Fellowship, definitionally, according to Merriam-Webster, is a community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience. It's a group of people that, that are bonded together, that share one thing. And this is a good start, but it's still missing something. When it comes to fellowship described in the Bible, though it includes a community that's interested in something, it depicts more specifically a, a community of people who are so sold out to something that they're willing to lay down their entire lives for it, to give anything else up. So we're going to be looking at Romans 15, verse 1 and following. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord. We ask that your word would be alive and active in our hearts tonight, that you would prepare it, prepare our hearts to receive it, that you would work and stir in us, even on a fun night that you've given us. We're so grateful for that, and we want to honor you with it. Help us to do that, even in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the three ingredients of fellowship. The first one that we see is, in order to have true fellowship, we need to be humbly serving others. We need to be humbly serving others. Redeemer students, you are a body of students that come from all sorts of worlds. You go to different schools. Some of you are at public school. Some of you are at private school. Some of you are at home school. Some of you are at a co-op. Some of you are at another co-op. A lot of you are coming from different educations. Some of you have, have two parents at home. Some of you don't. Some of you have one parent at home, foster parent at home. 
Some of you have a family that grew up attending church every single Sunday. And some of you don't. Maybe some of you are brand new to church. And this is the first time you've ever walked into a church. If that's you, thank you for coming. I'm so glad you're here. But when we come together and we want to engage in fellowship, we want to be joined together as one unit. It has to be beyond these qualifications. Some of us like sports. Some like theater. Some like Legos. Some like music. Some like video games. Some like you fill in the blank. Perhaps some of you even like all of these. Maybe. I, I don't know. But it's possible. But what unifies a group more than a common interest, even the great common interest of destroying the ring of power, like the Lord of the Rings, what generates fellowship has nothing to do with our own preferences or backgrounds. As verses 1 and 2 tell us, what creates fellowship is a willingness to lay down what we have, to lay down our lives for the sake of others, to humbly serve others. In this passage, the word strength, notice here that the strength in this passage, in verse 1, those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. They are not to use their strength as a means to puff themselves up, to build themselves up, to add to their reputation, but rather to give, to bear with the failings of the weak. Which that actually means is, it's a picture in the original language of carrying a really heavy burden. Imagine your friends carrying this 200-pound backpack on their back, which would be incredible if your friend was able to do that. And what you're going to do is you're going to go alongside, you're going to help carry that burden. That's what this verse is depicting. If we have strength, we are to move towards those who don't have it in those ways. And when we use what God has given us, whether that be strength or knowledge or money or any ability to serve our own interests, we are going to be crippling our ability to have fellowship, even in this group. When we come to a Wednesday night and we think about, I can't wait to be with this friend or this person or see this person or do this thing or play this thing, what are we thinking about? Us. That's going to destroy fellowship. We have to come being willing to humbly serve one another. And my question to you who call this place home, junior higher or high schooler, is when you come, are you using this as an opportunity to bear with one another's burdens to help those who need help to move towards those outside of your group do you want to be a group that's pursuing and welcoming to the outsider because you can't through christ you can or do we want to just be a group that's that's all about coming together with our little friend group doing our little thing that whatever we want to do is that what we want redeemer students to be like it's not what i want i pray it's not what you want because the lord has more for us We will not have fellowship if there's no humility. And humility must mark the way that we speak, act, discuss, worship, listen, and respond. And this has been the way that it was for Christians ever since the beginning. In the early church, Acts chapter 2, right at the very beginning, all the Christians come together and they share everything. They literally have houses and they sell them. And they bring them to the apostles and say, here, have the money. Use it however we need to. Because we are one unit. We want to have fellowship. Notice how in, even in this example, humility is not about cutting ourselves down. Some of us have this misconceived notion that I'm being humble if I say, oh, I'm not good at that. Or, oh, yeah, I really struggle with this. Or, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Or, uh, you're really good at this, but I'm not. I'm terrible at that. 
It's not humility. It's false humility. Because that humility is directed still at me. It's not directed at you. And the test of true humility is does it move you towards those around you? That's what true humility does. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Spending less time being concerned with yourself. An essential ingredient to fellowship is humbly serving others, but that can't be it. There are hundreds of thousands of nonprofit groups in this world that come together for causes for others, but that doesn't depict Christian fellowship. What's missing? What's missing? Well, you probably know the answer, but it's in this text. So we're going to go over it. Number two, second ingredient to humble fe- or to Christian fellowship, looking to Jesus. Read back at verse three with me if you have your Bible. If you don't, you can listen. For Christ, our example, did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. And there's a lot that we could unpack in this little passage, this little section. But what is very clear is that Christ sets the example for our humility. You ever think about that? That he was the perfect son of God sitting in heaven. He was perfectly complete within himself. He was perfectly happy within his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. And yet, in spite of that, in light of that, he decided to take on the form of a human being. So Philippians 2.6 tells us that he humbled himself. Though he was equal with God, he did not prize that as the highest thing. He prized demonstrating his love to us, to you. If you would believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, that you would be joined with this God who has been humbly serving others, who has humbly served us. What's the the motivation for humility? Look to Jesus. He was infinitely greater than the strongest of the world. He was infinitely wiser. He was infinitely richer. He had everything. He still does have everything. And yet he decided that he was going to leave his throne in heaven and come to earth to take on a very weak form. We're affected by a lot of things. And as you get older, if you don't believe this yet, you are very weak. I am very weak. Your leaders will tell you they are very weak. Sometimes we have the appearance of strength. We seem that we can handle a lot. But the truth is, is that some of the circumstances of life just crush you. And so that's why we have to look to Jesus as our substitute. Jesus moved in love by submitting himself to the Father. And has Jesus not borne your burden? Has Jesus not taken that upon the cross, bore your weight upon the cross? Has he not helped us weak creatures? And what we often forget is that this Jesus was not just the Jesus who is revealed in Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. No, this Jesus was written about from the garden, from Genesis chapter 3, this coming Messiah who would redeem his people. And that's what our verse says, chapter 15, verse 4 in Romans. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope through what's written in the scriptures. And what we think about, if we stop just for a brief minute, is when Paul's writing this, none of the New Testament exists. (laughs) None of it was compiled. Some of it was written at this point, but none of it was compiled. So what Paul is saying is that the Old Testament, 
All of those minor prophets and weird prophecies that we read the first time and have no idea how to interpret. All of the stories and the genealogies and the laws that God explains in the Old Testament. They were written for your hope, for your encouragement. And that is why we have to approach God's word as the gold that it is. And the fact that sometimes we don't get stuff out of God's word when we read it is not to do with the quality of the content. It's to do with the quality, the capacity of our minds to mine that content, to pull it out. We need help in that. The reason that we push you at Redeemer Students, that I push you, that I plead with you, that your leaders encourage you so much to read the Bible is not so that you can check off a box. It's not so that you can grow in your pride and your knowledge of the scripture completely devoid of affection. It's so that you can experience the written word of God, which proclaims a Messiah who has come to deliver you, who was promised very long ago. And that is to provide us encouragement. These things were written in former times, but they are very relevant and helpful for us today. We must read the scriptures. We must look to Jesus in them. We must humbly serve those around us. But still, there's one missing ingredient. Ingredient in fellowship. Christian fellowship. The last ingredient of fellowship is number three. Empowering by the Spirit. We need empowering by the Spirit. You may say as I give you that title, and I don't see that word anywhere in, in these verses, and, I, and you would be right to do so. But if we look closely at the beginning of verse 5, I'm going to read it for you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Paul prays that he would grant, that God would grant the people harmony in accord with Jesus. And we can only be one with Jesus if we have the same spirit as Jesus, the Holy Spirit. When we put our trust in Jesus, acknowledging that we have sinned against the Creator God, that we can never pay back the debt that we owe. That the record of our sins piles up over our heads, it drowns us, and we'll never be able to swim out of it. When we make that acknowledgement and recognize that, And say, Lord, you are creator. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and against earth. Would you forgive me? The simple prayer. A childlike faith as it is described in the Bible. In that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and fills up your heart. He enters into you. And he gives you power. And he gives you encouragement. He is the down payment, the guarantee that one day we will be with the Lord. We will have no more sin, no more sorrow, no more shame, no more sadness. One day it's all going to be gone. And the presence of the Holy Spirit within us reminds us of that coming day. I should say that the Holy Spirit is not just a mystical force to help us feel better about our lives. Sometimes there's not a lot of clarity about the Holy Spirit because it's hard to describe. It's hard to explain. But it's worth digging into because this is not just some force. It is, in fact, the third person of the Trinity. It is God himself dwelling in every single believer. That's crazy that God would actually enter into you. But he does to all believers. On earth, we see the Holy Spirit's effect in us in several ways. He illuminates the Bible to our eyes. 
when we read and we struggle to see what's going on, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the great helper, this book will only be a list of rules that can help you live a better life, which may end up better on earth, but it has nothing to do with your eternal well-being. You need Jesus. But with the Holy Spirit, he allows us to read deeply over and over and over and over and over again, again, about the same verse about the same passage and find new things every time we read it. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. He allows us to see the depths of His Word. He convicts us of our sin. He helps us to see where we're wrong and He gives us the power to overcome this sin. He also bears fruit in our lives. We call this the fruit of the Spirit. A couple years ago, there was a group that dressed up as the fruits of the Spirit. That was pretty good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things are, are an outflowing of the Holy Spirit in your life. If there is true love in your heart towards anyone, if there is true gentleness, if there is true self-control, that is not your own doing. It's the doing of the Holy Spirit. And He does it on your behalf through you. He is our comforter and our helper. He provides us the ability to produce the fruits of the Spirit. He brings our prayers before our Father in heaven. And he acts as a divine messenger delivering the prayers of God's people to the throne. Such a cool picture. And these are some of the things that he does. But in our passage, the work of the Spirit is to unify believers. And we get to be unified with one another and with God perfectly. Because like I said, we share the same Spirit. We are joined with God. Even to a greater degree that you're joined with your best friend. Even to a greater degree that one day, Lord willing, you're joined with a spouse. Far greater than that. We become one with God when we put our trust in Him. The result of this unity of our fellowship is written in verse 6. It says, all of this happens... That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into light. With one voice, all the believers together. And that's what's going to happen in heaven. And I can't wait for that day. I love the very end of this passage. And it's a great call to action. Redeemer students, if this is you... If you have been changed by the gospel, if you have the Spirit of God in your hearts, here's the word for you. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You know, some of you have been here for a very long time. You've been here probably even longer than I have. Many of you have. But there was a day that was your first night at Redeemer Students. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't. But we need to be a people. We need to be a group that that thinks about that. When we enter into the doors on Wednesday night, it's not just about my friends. It's not about my activities. It's about the person who's entering into the doors for the very first time that's never been welcomed. That's never been grafted into this family. And you have the opportunity to welcome them. To take part in that privilege. And I would just encourage you, don't let that moment pass you by. Pray to the Lord for strength. 
or wisdom of how to do that. And be encouraged that the fruit of this is not just an added friend, which that would be great if that happens. It would be great if you gain a friend when you welcome a new person that comes to Redeemer. But the ultimate goal is that one day, one day, you will sit with that person right by your side in heaven, dining with the Lord forever. That's the picture. That is why we do Redeemer students, because we want to have fellowship. And we want to bring more people into that fellowship because we want to see heaven more full because of the work that he is doing through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We ask that you would build up this youth group to be inviting, to be warmly receiving the outsider, person who's never been here before. Lord, we ask that you would fill our hearts to forget about ourselves. That a Wednesday night would not be an opportunity for us, but it would be an opportunity for you to be displayed in our life. In the way that we think and act and speak. The way that we respond. The way that we worship. The way that we discuss. Lord, would you be glorified. Help us in this. We know we need your spirit. We know we need your power working within us in order to accomplish this. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please stay seated just for a minute.